0: Hey, hey, how y'all doing? It's nice to be back here in the morning. Normally only get a gig at night. I'm... Um, I'd like to welcome everybody, Joining the welcome to, uh, to you all, um, particularly if you're visiting with us today. I know that start of school holidays, we've got the kids in. Um, that usually means we also get a couple of visitors and a few people away. So if you're visiting with us today, I want to make you especially welcome. We'd love for you to hang around after the service, have a cup of tea with, with us, get a chance so that we can give us a chance to meet you um, and make you feel even more welcome. Um, As most of the regulars here in Wodonga would know, uh, we've been working our way through... uh, through, um, Sorry, let me go back. Um, Most of the people in Wodonga actually know that as a church we are supporting um, uh, a number of projects around the world. Um, Probably chief and foremost... Would be that of David and Eliza Adamthwaite. They come from this church, and about four years ago, they packed up their family and uh, they moved to the Silk Road area of Central Asia. Um, one of, as one of the key supporting churches uh, of this project, we we actually have an opportunity which uh, David, our pastor, has uh, has asked me to mention this morning. So I'm going to do that briefly before I start. Um, The people of the, of the Silk Road or the K people of the Silk Road, they're also one of the most unreached people groups. There's almost no Christian people in that part of the world. And so David and Eliza and their kids, uh, Jude, Dustin and Caitlin, are part of a very small team which also comprises a couple named Ben and Petra and their boys Bryce and Lachlan. Um, while they are, they are trying to reach the K people uh, with the good news of Jesus, they also need to be doing this in a, uh, in a, uh, as part of the community there and uh, part of that, that culture. Now, the, uh, it's really important that, it, that they have a meaningful contribution in the life of the town. Um, the, C- the Silk Road team have uh, developed three main projects in the last few years. Uh, which are helping them to build relationship and uh, acceptance within this community. So I thought I'd quickly mention those for you. The, the first one is actually a English school where both Ben, who's a teacher, and Eliza, with her background in, in journalism, are teaching English to those who want to go beyond the the very basic English that they're actually taught in the local schools. Uh, so they get they've got quite a lot of students, and they've actually got a waiting list for for students of that school. The second project is that of Petra's uh, project. Uh, she's her background is in occupational therapy, and. Uh, The health system in this part of Asia is really sketchy, like really sketchy. Um, People have been known to actually buy their medical degrees. So if you want to go to hospital there, good luck. Um, (laughs) So they also uh, have no background and no understanding of the whole importance of allied health. And as an allied health professional um, uh, from here in Australia, they... You know they've never even heard of, let alone seen, the type of therapies that we would take for granted. Um, so uh, Petra has actually managed to track down throughout the whole the whole region a number of other expat. Uh, uh, allied health professionals, mainly occupational therapists and physios, and she started this network to try and raise awareness and the options for health therapies in that culture. And Petra herself in particular is working with a number of children who, um, in our community with their, their disabilities, they would be really well engaged, they'd be at a normal school, that sort of thing. But in that culture, they're basically just left to lie on the floor, um, uncared for, unloved, and with no future. Um, and she's, so she's trying to work with, with parents and people in the community to help them understand that the disability doesn't have to mean that they are excluded from life. Um, the third project uh, is that which Dave has actually just recently started. And uh, with his background in agriculture and fabrication skills, uh, he is establishing a community workshop where he and other local men can work together to develop agricultural uh, machinery and other devices and, and or where people can bring things to be repaired. Um, so while these three projects have, have been started, there's, there's so many more opportunities in that community um, it's a beautiful land. Uh, I went over there last year. It's it's really diverse. Uh, we would like to put together a team who are interested to know more or maybe even lend a hand over there. Uh, there'll be a chance for, for you to see this unusual part of the world, but uh, but the main purpose of this trip would be to see uh and develop links with what's already going on there or perhaps to get a taste of what it is like. We would would be particularly interested in hearing from you um, if if you think that uh, you would like to to know more about these projects. But we don't want you to feel restricted to just these. Um, If there's something else... uh, or, God, or you feel that God's tapping on the shoulder and saying this is something you should do. Uh, we'll be talking about this more over the next few weeks and a couple of months, um, but we would ask you to start considering it right now uh, if you feel that this is something you might want to be part of. Um, and if you would like to know more, I'd invite you to come and speak to me uh, or to Pastor David and, uh, and we'll certainly be able to fill you in on some more details. Anyway... Um, so that's Kazakhstan, Central Asia. Um, so while that's an exciting opportunity, I suppose, and, uh, and uh, a really unique location, I, today I actually wanted also to talk about another unique location, uh, over those over those last few weeks, we've been uh, thinking about what God was doing when he took this ragtag group of uh, people who had been living as nomads for 40 years in the wilderness and how he started to transform them into a nation that would become his people. You might remember a few weeks ago how Moses had handed on the baton of leadership to a guy named Joshua and, uh, who had led the Israelites across the Jordan River just, ha- just like how God had led the people, their parents, earlier through the Red Sea. Um, how they took time at Gilgal and they trusted in God's protection at that time and how they marched around Jericho. How many times? Thirteen times, that's right. Um, But only Rahab and her family saw what God was doing there and decided to get on board with the Israelites. And then God brought the walls of that city down, didn't he? But then there was also, we heard about the story of Achan and how he disobeyed God and he took some of the wealth from Jericho for himself. Achan's sin but also the arrogance and the self-reliance of, of, on their own military power saw the Israelites, they were routed by the much smaller force from the town of Ai. And then once that sin had been dealt with, God was able to lead his people forward again. But this time they overpowered the city of Ai and the leader who was standing against them. Do you remember all those stories? Great, everybody's coming along. Good. Now this brings me to today's story. It's just six six short verses Um, but this is one of the most unique locations um, and important locations in Israel's history and I hope you'll see why. So we've come to this area today uh, as the people of Israel march up uh, and it's an area where there's two mountains and they dominate the landscape. There's a small valley in between and uh, this little valley is incredibly significant. Some would actually argue that even today that this little valley and these hills are actually the epicentre of worship to God and it's not Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You see, in this little valley, there is a little town and it's called Shechem. And hundreds of years before today's story, Abram was traveling through this land and it was at Shechem that God made him a promise. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 6, it says Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Mora at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were living in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who'd appeared to him. So it was here that the first altar to the Lord was built in the land that was promised to him. And then again in Genesis chapter 33. Uh, If you read from 17 through to 21, Jacob also ends up building an altar in this same area. Um, It says there, there he set up an altar and he called it El Elo Israel and that means God, the God of Israel. So Jacob also saw this place as the place to worship God. In this little valley, Jacob also dug a well. And years later, most of the Israelites were living down in in Egypt. A small group of the daughters of Ephraim left Egypt and where do you think they came back to in Canaan? They came back to this valley. They settled right here, right near Shechem. The people back in Egypt also knew that this was an important spot. This is the place where Joseph had gone to look for his brothers in Genesis chapter uh, 37. But his brothers had actually moved on. You see, if you know that story, they were no longer where their father expected them. They were no longer at the place of worship. It says, uh, now his brothers had gone to graze their their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, or Jacob, said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm sending you to them. So it's a really key spot. Joseph saw this as such a special place, perhaps even a sacred place. And it was the place that uh, that he wanted to be buried So when he died down in Egypt, they kept his body for a few hundred years and then they carried it through the wilderness for 40 years just so that they could meet his wishes so that he could be buried in this location and that story is found in Genesis 50. And also it's mentioned again in Joshua 24. So later on, this town of Shechem also becomes a city of refuge. It's a place where you go um, until the law can be, uh, it can fairly deal with you. So it's it's a it's a place of of, um, of protection, and that part is found in uh, in First Chronicles. There's actually a picture of Joseph's tomb, which is is still there to this day. It doesn't quite look like that anymore. Um, it's got all sorts of other buildings around it. Um, The town of Sychar is also in this funny little valley. It's almost right next to Shechem. And you might remember that Sychar is where Jesus met the woman at the well. That's Jacob's well. That well, um, that story is is recorded for us in John chapter 4. And that well is still there today. Um, And the Samaritans actually still worship on this mountain there. So this is the, the well a few years ago. This is what it looks like today. Of course, they, anything that's church-related, they build a church over these days. So that's what it looks like. You can still go there. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's quite a unique sort of place to go. Um, and also, not only is Jacob's well there, but as I said, the, the Samaritans worship on the, on the mountain that's there, Mount Gerizim. They are still worshipping there today. Once a year they sacrifice and, uh, and uh, it's, this, this ceremony has been going on for a couple of thousand years now. And there's the remnant of the, of the temple on Mount Gerizim. Um, the main temple was destroyed in 128 BC by John Hycanus is his name um, during the Hellenistic period. Uh, so at the time Jesus was, was around, the temple was destroyed, but the Samaritans were still ro- worshipping there. So this is a really special location. I hope you're sort of getting a, getting a bit of a, a feel for that. And I'm sure that even back in Joshua's time, the people of Israel had been looking forward to seeing this place. Now, after they'd travelled up from Ai... We finally get to our story where three main things appear to happen in these six verses. The first part, oh sorry, David Hodgins, Dave Adanthwaite and I got to visit there last year. That's actually me there with that ugly hat on. It's one of my many ugly hats. Um, Anyway, uh, moving right along. Uh, Joshua, so now we're up to where we are today. Joshua chapter 8, verses 30, and we're going to be working through to 35. And it says, Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal, that's the other mountain. There's Mount Gerizim, Mount Ebal, built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the Israelites. He built it in, accor- in accordance to what was written in the book of the law, an altar... Of uncut stones, on which no iron tool had been used, and on it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. This is believed to be that altar on Mount Ebal. It's uh, so they found it a few years ago and, and worked out that this must be the must be the spot. It's quite a structure. Um, So here, where Abraham and Jacob had made offerings to God, Joshua then does the same thing. But not just Joshua, it actually says they. Um, So all the people were making offerings to God. In fact, they made two different types of offerings. The first was a burnt offering to God. That's, That's for the redemption of sins. Um, where the entire animal is burnt away and, and and completely completely burnt the second is a fellowship offering and and this is a, is an additional offering uh, above what they are expected it's it's not a compulsory thing but it's one where they they also are allowed to consume some of the meat some of the animal that is uh, is offered um So it's actually a bit like a family feast, Uh, but the only people that can can take part are the people that are committed to God. This is an act of uh, the act of eating is actually an act of submission and thankfulness. Now, if you want to know about those sorts of offerings, you can find them um, in Leviticus chapters one and seven. Archaeologists believe that this is the place. This is the location of the altar on Mount Ebal, um, and it's possible that, that with its size that hundreds of, uh, of animals would have been being sacrificed there. And that's exactly what Joshua did in this story. Uh, but it goes on and then it says to the second second event that happens in, in this passage. It says in Joshua, Joshua 8, There in the presence of Israel... Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. Now, so what is it with these stones? They, the act of writing the law on stones, this is a permanent uh, feature that he then sat in the landscape. And how to do this was actually instructed uh, by Moses Back in, and you can find that recorded back in Deuteronomy 27. And this is what uh, what uh, what Joshua does. He, he follows the instructions completely. Interestingly, part of that instruction included first, before writing on these stones, he had to plaster them. And interestingly, this is a technique from from uh, from Egypt. It's not a technique from this part of the world. Um, So Moses probably knew this technique from when he grew up as a youth in Egypt but the result of this would have been that these stones would have looked different to all the other stones in the area. They would have been a marker, they would have stood out a bit like a billboard um, and uh, hard to ignore really. So Yeah, they would have been a unique feature in, in the landscape. So Joshua writes out these laws for public viewing on these stones and now it sits right there in the centre. One of the unique things about this, this uh, valley, this part, part of, the, of, uh, of Israel, is that it's actually the dead centre. Shechem, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim are the dead centre, north to south, east to west of the promised land. Isn't it interesting that it's at this spot that they set up the law as a permanent feature right in the heart of the country? I think that God did that deliberately. And what... What do you think this law was that Joshua had to write out? Do you think it was just the Ten Commandments? You know, those Ten Commandments given at Mount Sinai, or maybe it was something else. It actually appears that it was much more. But rather than me tell you um, how it happened, perhaps I'll get some of you involved today, Seeing we've got the kids here, Um, a bit of up-on-your-feet action is always the way to go. I was going to use Joshua, Joshua Matamu, but he piked on me this morning. He reckons he's got laryngitis. So (laughs) Sam is going to be Joshua. Come on up, Sam. (laughs) Joshua, thank you. So Joshua, we are looking for somebody to represent the tribes of Israel. How many tribes of Israel were there? Twelve. We're going to need 12 people. Can anybody name them? Everybody goes silent. (laughs) Pin drops. Okay. The 12 tribes of Israel. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Isaac, Joseph, Benjamin, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan and Naphtali. We need 12 people. You're going to have to be quicker than this, Joshua. We've got Judah. We need you. Need you down the front here, please. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. How many have we got? Everybody's look, not looking at not looking at Joshua, hoping that they'll be ignored. Okay. How many are we up to? Come on, just get the usual suspects. Okay. Ah, fine looking men. No women. Interesting. Okay. Perhaps Joshua's not game enough to pick on women. See, everybody knew he was wise. Okay, how many have we got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. We've got twelve tribes of Israel. Fantastic. Okay. So, so interestingly, it um, goes on in verse 33, it says. Uh, All the Israelites with their leaders, officials and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord facing the Levitical priests. Oh, we need some Levitical priests. We need an extra two people, please. So they were facing the the Levitical priests were carrying the ark. Now the ark, if you don't know, was this big gold box that uh, that the the uh, the Ten Commandments were inside. So were a couple of other bits and pieces, a bit of bit of manna and a bit of other things. So we need two people to hold my ark of the covenant. Fantastic, we're getting there. Okay, and it says both the foreigners living among them and the native born with it. Just a second. It's not just the 12 tribes of Israel. We've got foreigners there. Put your hand up if you're a visitor. <laughs> Can you just dob in some people as foreigners? Okay, let's grab some foreigners. Fantastic. Fantastic. So it wasn't just the people of Israel. Who were these foreigners? Anybody got any guesses? Rahab was one and her family. Who else might have there been? Well, the actual fact was that the people had been moving through the land for quite a while. It wasn't just Rahab and her family that had joined in with the people of Israel. Other people had decided that they wanted to join in, and so it was a it was a bigger group. Um, there were there were people that weren't from the uh, from uh, the line of Abraham as part of what is now a much bigger community, and it says there goes on uh, in this passage and it says half of the people stood on Mount Gerizim and half of them on Mount Ebal as most uh, as Moses the servant of the Lord had formally commanded them uh, when he gave them the instructions of how to bless the people of Israel. Now this is interesting this brings me to um well actually firstly we'll separate them up um we're going to get six of you over here. One, two, three, four, five, six. Can you six go over there? And then we've got a couple of a couple of strangers, so we need one or two strangers over there as well, the foreigners. Okay, over you go. And we've got the other six over here. Fantastic. Okay, so we separated them up. Half of them towards Mount Ebal and half of them towards Mount Gerizim. Actually... That's south, isn't it? Okay, then it doesn't matter. Okay. And afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of the law, a word of all that Moses had commanded that he did not read to the whole assembly of Israel including the women and the children and the foreigners who lived among them just a second here again he read the law to all of them must have been hundreds of thousands of people how did he do that Joshua wouldn't have had a microphone or a pa system would he Well, this brings me to one more unique feature of this place. On each side of this little valley, there is a scoop out of Mount Ebal facing a scoop out of Mount Gerizim. Mount Ebal was was known as the Mountain of Curses and Mount Mount Gerizim is known as the Mountain of Blessings. These two scoops form two amphitheatres Here's a picture of Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Today, uh, there's obviously a modern town in there, but the remains of Shechem are smack bang in the middle. And these are the two natural amphitheatres. And interestingly, it's been tried multitudes of times now. You can stand in the middle and with a loud voice, you can be heard half a mile that way, And half a mile that way, a space big enough to hold hundreds of thousands of people. So we need our guys on our mountains. We need, just so happens that we've got five or six steps here. Can we get you guys distributed up here? And you guys distributed up here. Fantastic. We're looking like what Joshua had had to deal with. Okay. So a really unique location, isn't it? Um, so now I've lost my spot. There we go. Um, so we've got our people on our amphitheatres. According to the instructions in, in Deuteronomy 27, um, this, is how, this is where the law was read. So Joshua, we need you smack bang down here in the middle. And the people that were on Mount Gerizim over here, the mountain of... Blessings and the people over here on Mount Ebal or the Mountain of Blessings. (laughs) That brings me to another point. There doesn't seem to be any reason why the two lots of tribes were set set like this, other than if you go back in the Bible, you can actually find the approximate sizes of these different clans. And when you look at it split like this, it's about even. So it wasn't that these tribes were cursed and these tribes were blessed. It's just that the population split evenly down this way. Um, So according to Deuteronomy, Moses' instructions, uh, the whole of the law was read. Now that whole of the law appears to be the book of Deuteronomy. That's the book that Moses had written where he'd written all the instructions. So Joshua... Every time he got to a point where it mentioned a blessing, and we might have a blessing that Joshua can read out for us. If you fully obey God's laws, he will, uh, you will be blessed when you go out and when you come in. And all the people on the mountain, of blessing would yeah, would say, "Amen." So let's try it. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. And then every time he mentioned a curse, uh, uh, in the in the uh, in the in the law, um, we'd get a similar response. So let's have a hear one of the curses that he wrote. Cursed is the man who leads a blind man astray. Oh, that's that's pretty nasty thing to do. And they would all say, "Amen." Fantastic. So, unique location. The complete law is read, and and uh, and the whole community agree to what's in the law. Basically, they take the law. Onto themselves. Thank you so much for helping me out with the demonstration, and for our and for our uh, our Levites down here. So today, um, I know it's been a bit more of a history lesson and uh, maybe a geography lesson for some of us. Um, But what does all of this mean? Um, What's actually going on here? Is there anything that we can actually take away from this story and we can apply to our own lives? Well, in this story, we can see how God can bring together the right place, the right time and the right people to accomplish his will. We see the importance of stopping and worshipping God uh, both individually but also uh, as a collective. And we can see that the law of God, when it's set up on stones, it's, it's permanent, it's unchangeable, just as the promises of God were permanent and unchangeable. We also see that the separation line between living in or out of God's favour is actually obedience to his law. The people of Israel have been away for hundreds of years at this point. They've been enslaved, they've been lost, they've been rebellious, they've been wicked and they've actually been ungrateful as well. But with God's grace, here they've been brought back to the beginning. They've been brought back to the place of promise. It's like a fresh start. And God, in his incredible grace, he reestablishes that covenant with them. Just as he did with Abraham in Genesis 17, He's renewing and he renewed it with Moses in Exodus chapter 6. He, he does the same here for Joshua. He's basically saying, I will be your God and you'll be my people. And it's a challenge for us. The people return to the covenant with God. Will you and I actually do the same? When we've wandered away from Him, or when when we've you know shamelessly disobeyed Him, will we return to Him and commit to following Him? Because the offer is for everybody uh, who will come in humility and obedience to God. It's not just for those who have a history with God, but it's also for those who may have never known him before like the foreigners that joined israel he will be our god if we will be his people i reckon we should pray that that we will know his word will believe and obey him as we put our trust in him why don't you join me in prayer father god we thank you for the incredible story of joshua and what you what we've been learning from it Uh, about following you in obedience and faith. Today we've seen how in your incredible grace you brought back your people, back to a place of your promise and a covenant with your people. We see that you are a trustworthy God who keeps his promises and, and we can rely on you, your words true. Father, just like the Israelites, we want to reestablish our covenant with you. We ask your forgiveness for our sins which has been paid by the sacrifice of Jesus and we promise to follow you and obey your laws as we make them central in our hearts and our minds. Teach us your ways, Father God, so that we will not drift away from you.